This is the Breakfast Leadership Podcast. Boundaries or burnout, you make the choice. Here's your host, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I have Dr. Joni Carley on the line. Joni, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I am great. Uh, you're the author of The Alchemy of Power, amongst other great things that you do. But I always ask uh, my author colleagues, why in the world did you want to write a book? Because it's, it's not an easy venture, for sure. But uh, what, you know, what drove you uh, to create this book? And you know, what are some of the things that the book's about? It is seriously not an easy venture. <laughs> As my publisher will attest, I blew through a bunch of deadlines because I have walked a path of many paths all over the world, and I wanted to pull it all together with one of my passions, which is leadership and, and success. And so it took a lot to unpack some of the deeper principles that I've uncovered in, in my journeys and to make them relevant to what's on an entrepreneur or a leader's desk right now. And uh, so, I don't know, you know, I just, um, I just wanted to pull it all together because I don't think anyone has pulled this much world philosophy together with what we know works for leaders today. And the job of a leader has dramatically became more complex in the last, I would say, well, even in the last couple of years, but even the last decade and some change, um, I spoke with uh, Scott Elbin. Uh, about a year ago and he did some research on it and he found of course right after uh, the economic recession in 2008 2009 2010 uh, the pressure on leaders increased dramatically and then even in the last you know, couple of years it just seems to get more and more complex and I'd love to get your insights on you know what do you think some of those reasons are and why why leaders are having such a difficult time now uh, more so than maybe in in the history of leadership i think it's because we're in changing times and there's a whole new paradigm emerging i do work at the united nations as well as with with uh, individual organizations and um you know what has been happening throughout um the last well, probably almost the last uh, 50 to 100 years, but really um, dynamically in the last 10 years, is that we're going through a social transformation. You can really see it, it's as big as an evolutionary leap. And what's happening is more and more organizations and whole countries are realizing that when values rule, everything else gets better. And part of the rub is that all leaders have been taught the cultural myth, what I call the fluffy theory, that we all have bought into some level of, because it's just in the culture around us, it's in the air that we breathe. And the fluffy myth is that everything having to do with values or well-being or happiness or those kinds of environment, all those things are fluff. And they come after we manage the financial goals. Well, first of all, it's untenable for any human or for the planet. Second of all, it, there's absolutely nothing in the data that backs that myth up. In fact, the data is really clear to the opposite, that when leaders of any sort, whether you've got a one-person shop or you've got a, you know, a 60,000-person organization or a whole country, when values lead the way, 
Pri uh, share prices go up, stakeholder loyalty goes up, social indicators go up, all economic indicators go up. This idea that, that this stuff is fluff and it comes after the fact is just total myth. And yet leaders are stuck in this position of having to lead in accordance with this old paradigm belief that just ain't so, it's just not true. Um, and, and so they're trying to make that work where what we're seeing open up. And what I think a lot of them are feeling in their guts and in their knowing is that they can make a better world by making a better workplace and vice versa. You can make a better workplace by thinking about how that contributes to a better world. And that's a new way of thinking when leaders are kind of in the, in the gap of, of that leap that we're making. Yeah, it's like definitely a leap that we need to make because I see with the amount of turnover uh, that we're seeing in industries, uh, and even there was a study done about a year ago in Canada by uh, a payroll company, and the survey came out and said that 73% of Canadians surveyed said if they were offered a job today, they would take it. So it's seven out of 10 people would up and leave their job right now just if they got a job offer. And when you look at that and you think, okay, that's 70% of the working population would just up and leave. It's like, that's a problem. And I agree with you. There's, there's a shift and it's, it's happening and some organizations can pivot and are a little bit more agile than others, but it's definitely changing the environment. Even, you know, when I think from a sports analogy, we're starting to see some NHL hockey coaches being let go because of their bullying and abusive type of behavior, which has been quote unquote the norm. Um, and for some time, and now you're seeing successful coaches being shown the door because society is going, we don't want this anymore. That's we right. Want. Not only do we not want it, it, it doesn't work. You know, in the data, it doesn't work, despite the fluff mythology that we think. It, it doesn't work. And, and you're pointing to something really important here, and that's that people statistically don't leave jobs, they leave managers. And uh, when we, we, unfortunately, a lot of managers have been trained that might makes right, that if they just get control over somebody else's uh, desires, that they'll be in the winner's seat. And it's just all nonsense. I hear stories after stories after stories every week of bad management. I co-authored a book with Dr. Arlene Battisil on that subject. And the research we did, it was alarming, even with personal stories of things that happened to us individually and then just colleagues that we knew. And a lot of it comes down to, like you said, the training these managers are getting, you know, it's like, okay, you got to be strong and, and, and hold people accountable for things, which holding people accountable, yes, you want them to come in, you want them to do their job, but you also want to give them the tools so they can successfully do their job and then get out of their way and let them do their job. And I see too many micromanagers. I, and I, and I, quite frankly, I think a lot of it comes down to the managers are just not getting trained on how to manage. And it, that has a ripple effect and the executives and the CEOs are sticking their head in the sand or ignoring it, or, you know, they're the same personality and it just makes for a very toxic workplace. Yeah. Um, you know, in terms of accountability, part of the problem is that we don't stop and ask accountable to what? And uh, what we're finding out now is, again, it comes back to values 
that when the values are fulfilled, everything goes up. So if you say, you know, I'm accountable to just the bottom line, well, the chances are really good you're going to trash somebody's values. If all you're looking at is money, then, uh, and when someone's values, when they know they're going to walk in the door and their values aren't going to be honored, there's going to be a piece of themselves that they leave outside the door that they leave in bed. And that's one of the things we measure with the cultural transformation tools that I use. We measure what we call entropy, and that's uh, energy that's not contributing toward mission fulfillment. Well, when somebody knows they're going to walk in the door, they're going to be bullied, they're going to be controlled, there's going to be information hoarding, there's going to be a silo mentality, gossip, you know, those kind of limiting values are going on, then they're not going to bring their whole selves to work. And if they, we can actually measure if they're leaving 30, 40, 50% of themselves outside the door, then how high do you think your productivity is really going to be? So we can translate this into dollars very quickly uh, on something like information hoarding, for example. Uh, you can put a piece of paper on someone's desk and say, every time you have to reinvent the wheel because the person next to you is, is playing some kind of games around holding on to information, just write down how long it takes you. And then we can do that math with a paycheck. And that still doesn't get us in the ballpark of what it really costs because uh, when, someone is, when someone's values are being compromised, then the chances are really good that they're fussing, they're complaining, they're talking to consultants like me about where they can go next or how their resume looks rather than talking about how they can do better with the team they've already got, where, where the vision can expand and bring even more for everyone involved. You know, it's the quality of conversations that are going on and the quality of conversations is determined by the values that are being played out and those can be measured, they can be managed and they can be taken to the bank. And I love that approach because what it does is it, it, when you have your employee wholly and fully show up and they feel engaged and they feel that they're getting value out of the exchange of their time for the work that you're paying them for, you can see them grow. And one of the things I do- You can is, measure it too. Yeah, exactly. And you can, you can visually see it, but you can also measure it. And you can see um, the impact that it does. Because if you take care of your people, they're going to take care of your customers. You're going to have better products and services. You're going to have less defects if it's in manufacturing, or you're going to have less problems with rollouts and, and projects and everything else. And your turnover is going to reduce dramatically because people are going to say, you know what, I want to stay here. And even if you're in a situation where you can't necessarily compensate them with the, you know, the market is bearing, if they're doing really good work and quality work, guess what? The, what you charge your customers is going to be able to increase because the quality and turnaround of things is going to improve. And they may end up making more than if they were to left for the competition. And you've got an employee that feels they're more accountable to themselves and they, they show up every day and absenteeism, you see it. I mean, the stats are all there and you, you look at organizations that had huge turnover and you know, real quick story. And I, I, I took over a medical clinic several years ago. And after the first two years of his existence, before I arrived, they had 80% turn, turnover, eight zero. Um, I, I mean, McDonald's can't even boast that number. And so, <laughs> So I, I'm like, what in the world is going on? And after a year of me being there, that dropped below 10%. And I only 
removed one person and just because they weren't the right fit and gave them a glowing review and they were hired in an organization where they are a great fit. It's just, and it's just understanding where things are and it boiled down to that the, the team just felt like they didn't have a voice. They didn't have any say in what they were doing and input because especially frontline people because they're facing customers day after day. And if they see something that could make things better, and you don't have a mechanism to allow that to happen when well, you're shortchanging everybody involved. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I like to use these cultural transformation tools because they actually measure uh, and they, they plot out the data of what those frontline people are thinking, what the, you know, we can, we can break out the demographics of what the, the back office and the front line are thinking uh, compared to each other, where they're aligned, where they're not aligned. That's really what you're trying to build is alignment. Um, that, that sort of shared accountability, like what are we accountable for? Well, you know, that, that comes down to what are we aligned around? And alignment is culture. You know, that culture exists to the degree that people are aligned around shared values, shared vision, shared behaviors, shared attitudes, those kinds of things. And so it really comes down to building a culture that, just like a culture in a lab dish, right? If you put uh, some bacteria in some lab dishes, they're not going to grow because the culture in that lab dish doesn't support that bacteria. And you put it in another lab dish, it is going to grow because that culture supports that. So the question is, what, what are you going to grow in the lab dish of your business or, organiz or nonprofit or, or um, whatever you're running? Um, what, what are you going to establish as the ground from which behaviors will spring? And another thing about values are the building blocks of culture. So they're really important to, to figure out what's there. And aside from that, values are our most primal drivers as human beings. They're connected to our needs. So, um, you know, when we get, it's what we need, like our first values, the, like Maslow's hierarchy, you got to eat right? And in terms of a business, there's got to be profits, lights have to be on. But then uh, we go through seven levels of values uh, through um, relationships, best practices, uh, internal growth, and onto the highest level is universal greatest good. So how are we contributing to the next generation, to the world being a better place? And we think that that's an add-on conversation that comes in a hierarchy after everything else. But the data is clearer and clearer and clearer that uh, an organization, no matter how small, that thinks of itself in this all seven levels is a more successful in organization almost no matter how you measure it. And that's the key is if you can measure things, you can improve things. If you are going off on a hunch or just based on a couple of people that are telling you, okay, this is what's going on in the organization, you're not getting the full picture and you're missing out on opportunities to really grow your organization and be able to be agile enough and be able to pivot any type of economic challenge that we will face. I mean, anybody that paid half attention in economics class in college, we know that economies go up and they go down and organizations that are able to adjust uh, without having to, you know, turn a gigantic ship around uh, is, are those the ones that are going to be able to navigate things easier because, you know, their team is, prepared to be able to shift things because they, they feel comfortable with them and they trust the leadership to guide them. 
Yeah, the problem is that trust and uh, the the um, health of the culture and organization, all of these things are invisible. And so it's often really hard to figure out um, how do I account for these things when they're so, they're, they're like the bottom of the iceberg, you know, nine tenths of the iceberg is underneath the surface. So how do you account for those things that you can't see? That's really what my book is about, The Alchemy of Power. It's about, and that's what took so long to write it, is it was many years of studying metaphysics. Now metaphysics is both the philosophy and the science of causality. It's the study of what causes what. And in terms of leadership and success, we really have to dial back this conversation into this realm of metaphysics, into this realm of causality, because that's where 90% of, of the, the work happens. That's, you know, that, that culture that we're talking about that's ubiquitous. We don't see it. It's invisible around us, but we absolutely can manage it. And that's the key. When, when leaders can tap into those metaphysical principles, which uh, you mentioned something earlier, like presence, you know, um, those kinds of things that truth telling, that the values are going to be playing out. When, when leaders can actually consciously manage the elements at that level, oh man, the world's their oyster, the sky's the limit because they have the key. And that's what my book is about. No, that's a great, great analogy. And Great tip. So what are some common things you see uh, both in, in leadership and in the employees that hold everybody back? Because there's so many things that we see. And you know, for those of us that are, you know, that understand, you know, that it's, it's the fluffy stuff that makes the difference. Why is there such hesitation? Uh, for people to embrace it. I know they're so driven on the bottom line and things, but there's, is there anything else that seems to be a common thing that you, that you encounter time and time again? Fear and, and really the acculturation to fear. So um, we've, we've really been in a fear-based paradigm for a very long time, for millennia. And, um, you know, a lot of economic principle, principles have been built on fear. Um, and that's what we're seeing right now politically. We're seeing a lot of fear-based politicking and governance. And um, there's, you know, all the different, I've studied world philosophies, I've taught world philosophies, and I apply them to leadership. And uh, there's just, you know, no matter what you believe or, or what, what world tradition uh, points toward it, they all point toward the same thing, that when there is love versus fear, and I don't mean love by the gushy-mushy stuff, I mean love by just being in the totally present, being willing to be connected and, and serve, uh, to be, you know, in, in personal authenticity and, and that kind of strength. That's what leads to dynamic successes. There are just multiplication factors that, that we don't have time to go into right now, but, but that's where the alchemy comes in, is, is um, there truly are metaphysical multiplication factors that are easy enough to apply. Uh, and that's why I have, at the end of every chapter in my book, I have leadership reflection to just uh, really help people self-coach and answer these questions so that they can um, apply this stuff because it is hard to tap into these, these invisible forces, but 
Um, just because you can't see gravity doesn't mean it's not there. And, uh, you know, just because we're not aware of culture and all these things that drive people down and the, the poison that fear is and that fear-based rulership is and that this common, another way of thinking of it is dominance versus uh, partnership, which is Rian Eisler's work. So there's, there's uh, for millennia, we've been in this uh, cultural story that dominance is leadership. Well, as as we're playing things out and re-looking at uh, what we've the, the uh, research that we think we've believed in all this time, we're realizing that species that cooperate actually do much better. That this, most species are not based on domination. That uh, domination leads to inequalities that are disruptive to systems. That uh, you know all of these, all this kind of it kind of goes with fluff mythology. This that this dominator idea is is the way that leadership works. It's just not that when uh, we move into more partnership, more loving, more compassionate, more values driven modes. I am telling you, the, the, the multiplication factor is extraordinary. I like to think of it in terms of mojo, right? Like if, if values are being compromised and you've got uh, blame and lying and corruption and all that going on, then people don't bring a lot of themselves. They don't bring their mojo, their energy, their spark, their jazz, you know, that, that, that spark that, that's unique in each of us but common to all of us. And you want that on the, on, at work because where people bring their passions, they deliver. So um, when when you're really accounting for mojo, when you set when you set up a culture that where the mojo really flows, well, mojo again one plus one. When two people get together, it equals more than one plus one. That's just the dynamic of the human condition, right? Two people can do more than each person can do individually. But when you start thinking of that more in terms of mojo than individual personalities. And you see that a leadership, a leader actually has the opportunity to capitalize, to, to, um, to uh, harness and unleash collective mojo. That is a supernatural power. It's just a question of how conscious a leader is and how, um, how concrete they can get about that. Because again, we're in this metaphysical realm, but that's why I like the cultural transformation tools, because we can get real data around it. Yeah, I completely agree with you on the fear and on the mojo as well, but the fear thing. And what frustrates me is, you know, and not to dive into politics too much, but I, I'll, I will just in this aspect of it, there's a lot more similarities on the principles and the things that each political party wants for its citizens. There's, there's I wish we were lot. We had video because do I have a slide for you? We actually measured Democrats and Republicans in uh, America, and uh, they had all the same values except for two. They were in a little bit different order, but their top nine value that they, they, they were matching. So, you know, you're absolutely right about this. The data is clear. We are more aligned than not, but it's this exploitation, this fear-based stuckness in the non-alignment and having to get over and display these negative values to thinking that that's how we, the only way we get by. And there's just nothing that validates that. And the current political climate is, you're right, it's the perfect example of how it just doesn't work that way. 
Yeah, and it's it's frustrating, and it it turns away people um, that would vote and they don't want to, and it it just creates this this cycle, and it, it's frustrating. And quite frankly, you know, there's a lack of trying to seek the other to understand what the other party wants, and if they actually had a common ground. And this is you know negotiations tactic you know when you're when you're let's say for example you're an organization and you're negotiating with the union you know there's 10 or 20 different things you need to negotiate over there's probably you know 75 percent of it everyone's in agreement on so but at this current climate they pretend that they don't agree on anything even well, though they that's do why i like to measure before i when i start consulting with the leader i like to measure the organization and really get the data on where the alignment is exactly and where there's divergence exactly. And when you start out with that, and you know it's transparent, everybody's data is on the page. When you debrief this with, with just the leadership team or with everybody in the organization, you know everybody knows they're included. And so they're starting out on a page where we've identified, we want this, we want this, we want with us. Like maybe we're, we're all aligned around with better customer satisfaction. We want more shared leadership and we wanna be uh, bigger players in the community. Well, you know, when, when those kinds of things Things are really clear and maybe you'll see people want more family time um, then you can start to work around okay that's really what they want they're not looking for other things and so you know often really good programs that might work somewhere else are applied somewhere because that's the only program somebody's got to apply and it's not authentically what that particular organization needs or wants and so that's why I think it's so critical to start with data otherwise everybody's guessing even if I'm trying to give you exactly what you want I can only really guess what that is and if you tell me what you want and it somehow feels divergent from what I want and I don't see all the rest of the context of we really have a lot of convergence, then where am I going to go with that? I'm going to defend what I want, right? So, um, or I'm going to lose what I want, give you what you want. And when you get into that win-lose conversation, it's over. And so that's why I like establishing the data, getting the cultural getting the culture quantified so we can really look at what's so here, what's so in terms of what's playing out and what we want to play out and who we are in the matter of this. And then you can work on who's going to do what, what's the strategy going to be, what kind of pro programs or projects are we going to take on, how are we going to reorganize according to this, what we all say we want, what the shared intentions are, what the shared accountability will be. You can only establish that by establishing clear data that is cumulative of all stakeholders represented. And I love that work. That's um, absolutely amazing. So love the conversation today. Where can people find out more about you and this awesome work that you're doing? You can go to my website at joanicarley.com. That's J-O-N-I-C-A-R-L-E-Y.com. And you can look at my book, The Alchemy of Power, the Mastering the Invisible Factors of Leadership, to learn what I learned from headhunters in the jungle and bush people in the tribe and spiritual leaders and leadership leaders and all over the world. And uh, I share it in one pretty short book for all that it covers. That's you can get awesome. that on Amazon. That's awesome. And I'll definitely have all that information in the show notes. So Joni, great talking with you today. Thank you for the work that you're doing. It's making an impact and uh, 
collaboratively together. We're going to impact the world and, and change things for the better. So thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you. Hey, it's Michael again. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate it. If you're like many people, you're dealing with some significant stress and possibly approaching burnout. I know how you feel. In 2009, my burnout led to a year of worst-case scenarios. I do not want that to happen to you. If you go to breakfastleadership.com, you can register for a free webinar on burnout prevention, as well as get as a free checklist to have successful mornings. Start off each day the right way. Again, that's at breakfastleadership.com. Also, since you are a loyal podcast listener, I'm asking you to like, rate, and review my podcast on iTunes. I look at all the reviews and appreciate your comments, and it helps other potential listeners discover the content I have on the show. I appreciate you, and thanks again for listening.